Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to History Becomes Her, a mashable podcast about women making history right now and the women who paved the way for them. I'm your host, Rachel Thompson, senior reporter at Mashable. Before we start, there is discussion of rape and sexual assault in this episode. Lisa Tadeo spent eight years writing Three Women, a book that's been hailed the deepest nonfiction portrait of desire ever written. Not just any desire, female desire. Tadeo drove across America six times to spend thousands of hours with the three women whose stories shed light on the way women's sexuality is marginalized. She even moved to the towns they live in to gain a deeper understanding of their lives. The result is a fascinating deep dive into the sex lives of three women and the harsh, sometimes devastating ways they are judged by society and the people they know for their sex lives. My name is Lisa Tadeo, and I am a writer. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is a podcast about women who are making change in the world right now, be that changing laws, starting movements, or changing the way we think about things. Your book has changed the way our culture views female desire. But my question for you is, is there a woman from history or from the present day who inspires you or who's made a difference to your life? I would say um, two. I would say Natalia Ginsburg. Um, When I first read The Little Virtues, I felt like there was a bravery that was both beautiful and so nearly violent. And I, I just really, it made me feel like that was a possible thing. Mm. And it also just, it just made me feel like there was palpable strength in the history of women and that it was a historical thing. Um, And, you know, of course, people like Joan of Arc, there's more history, but for that, as a writer, that made me feel very, it made me feel very good. And then I would say the other one would be Elena Ferrante because there is a sort of sexual freedom in her work that whether it's fiction or not, it it feels it's so true and real. And I think that it makes it easier for one, a woman, for example, to talk about the, the negative bits of desire. And you worked on the book for eight years and drove across America six times and spent thousands of hours with your subjects. And you even moved to the towns where they lived. 
What did you learn about female desire throughout this process? I would say that the wildest thing, in a sense, was the way that women judge other women for talking about desire. And I would say that um, with the Me Too movement, how we describe and fight against what we don't want for the first, not the first time, but quite a just strong time, Mm. and is a communal gender as a sisterhood, but a sort of inverse corollary to that has been that we don't talk about what we do want, and I think that that's because it's hard or two, in a sense, because we have to conform, in a sense, to one extreme or the other, and to to kind of fall into the middle and talk about the nuance of one's desire is almost harder than ever. And how did you find your eponymous three women? Um, to, how did you get them to open up to you in such an intimate and no-holds-barred kind of way? I think that when you spend so much time with a human being, it becomes it becomes easy to talk to someone. It's not about gaining trust so much because I was never, I wasn't, I presented myself as non-judgmental from the beginning, not in a presenting oneself way, but I had lost a lot of my family. And so there was a sense of loneliness that I think was really palpable to other people, especially people who felt alone. And I will also say the people who feel alone and who feel like not heard are the people who are most likely to talk to someone, whether they're in great passion or in great pain. And I think the two often go hand in hand, like Lena, the housewife in rural Indiana, who had great passion with this high school lover that she was having an affair with and also had great pain when she didn't when she didn't get what she wanted from him and so I think that for her to talk to me it became it just was so it was like talking to a therapist that you didn't have to pay and I became a sort of ghost to her in the sense that we were very close but at the same time she was always the the speaker and I was always the listener. Have you stayed in touch with them? Yes. That's I love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, I think it would be almost pathological if I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> if I was just like, you know, it's not like doing a story about a celebrity and then they don't want to hear from you again. Right. And kind of vice versa in a sense. Yeah. I think because obviously they shared so much with you that I think that makes a lot of sense. And also just spending that much time with someone. It's crazy to do that and then to just one day go, okay, we're done. So the first line of the prologue I found particularly shocking. And that line is, um, when my mother was a young woman, a man used to follow her to work every morning and masturbate in step behind her. And you went on to say that you think about this daily along with the things that you have allowed to be done to you. I want to know why you chose to include that particular story. And do you think that this kind of feeling of, you know, having things done to you is quite common? I mean, you know, for me, it was more about the fact that my mother had not really, that it wasn't something that, I mean, and it was definitely something that affected her. I can't imagine that it didn't affect her, but it wasn't something that she that kind of followed her around in a sense. It wasn't something that marked. I think it was a part of 
many things that happened, especially because she grew up in the 1960s in Italy. It wasn't like they had much of a voice against those things. And like when I asked my brother and my aunt about that, my aunt was not really impressed with the story. She still lives in Italy. It's a very provincial town. It's not something that, you know, you would go to even nowadays. I don't think you would go to a policeman and say this man masturbated behind me. They might even like have a laugh about mm-hmm. it. So and I so I chose to to include that story because I wondered how much of that story had factored into my own life. Not that story because I didn't really hear much of it until after she passed away. But it was more about how much I had let be done to me. And then perhaps was it hereditary Mm -hmm. that I did that? Was it just something I sort of picked up? Uh, I didn't pick it up in a in a sort of daily sense because my mother wasn't allowing men to masturbate (laughs) to her when I was uh, when I was after I was born. So I don't think it was that. I don't know if it was hereditary, but it was something that I thought was very important to the conversation of what I was of of the Mm -hmm. book. As we were saying that, I thought of a conversation I recently had with my mother about when she was living um, in Spain, when she was, I think, probably about 20 years old. And she'd said that she was one of the most terrifying nights of her life. And basically she'd, you know, um, they'd been she'd been sitting with a, a female friend at a table and these older guys had come over and uh, offered to buy them a drink and then more and more drinks and everything. And they'd had this friendly conversation. And basically at the end of the night, they were like, okay, well, it's time for us to go. And these men had been like, okay, well, you know, it's time for you to, you know, like live up to your side of the bargain and this and basically they demanded sex and my mum ended up well she describes it as running for her life you know um Mm -hmm. and that was I've I that was a story that I grew up with I think it's one of those cautionary tales I think that a lot of women when they're growing up their mother has a kind of cautionary tale perhaps to to tell them about this for me with the lesson was a kind of male sexual entitlement I did not, that lesson was not handed down right. in that sense. And, uh, you know, I think it has a lot to do with being Italian. Mm. Um, it has a lot to do with not just being Italian, but growing up in abject poverty mm. in Italy in the 1960s. I think that the I, the notion of my virginity was something that, what like maintaining that while it wasn't really spoken about it was something that I felt that if I lost my virginity to someone who didn't love me or too early mm-hmm. that it would be something that would look we would look upon as not not right and not um but I don't but that was never that was never said or spoken out loud but for example when I was in college um I had a very long-term boyfriend and we moved in with each other and you know obviously a parent would think that you were being intimate with that person mm-hmm. especially after like six five years of being with yeah. them being 19 20 whatever we were but we rented an apartment that was more un- obviously it was more unaffordable mm-hmm. because and and it had two bedrooms and that was the reason that we did it and for me it was like a sort of his bedroom was decorated like for him like it had like you know spider-man posters on the wall and and hockey posters and that was to i don't know i guess i i didn't i thought that if i did that it would make them think 
or it would help that it would help maintain the fantasy of my being a virgin right that you had to keep up this act of, yeah. of being in separate bedrooms. Right. So even though I wasn't handed down the notion of sexual threat and staying away mm-hmm. from that, I was handed down the notion of purity. And I think one of the most striking things for me about reading the stories of Lena, Sloan and Maggie was that I could see things about myself on the page that I'd perhaps never really put into words before. And I I wonder, why do you think it's taken until now for women's erotic lives to be explored in such an accurate and relatable way? I I think it's been, like, I think Elena Ferrante does it. I think it's done in fiction very often. I think in nonfiction, it's... I think male desire is done in fiction very often. I I think in nonfiction, it's more scientifically Mm. described. And I had a lot of science in my book at one point. I didn't know what I was going to do until it, I took it out because it felt like it didn't work and it felt boring, basically. And I'm not an expert and I read, you know, 30 books about sex, but they were scientific books. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that, um, that were more like, you know, young women in high school who were having sex, young women, young women in college. And I found those books interesting, but I didn't want to write about, um, a sort of, a sort of sample group. Mm -hmm. I wanted to write about specific people and treat them with the same sort of granular attention to detail that you would do with someone quote-unquote famous or important. And these women and all human beings, we are as important to ourselves, to our families, and just in life um, in general to as, as, as important as, as, you know, an actor who just by dint of being on television is seen as a sort of, as a person that needs to be excavated. And I wanted to excavate, not in a negative sense, but in a um, in a sort of just journalistic and emotional sense, the lives of people who were just, were just people. It's like a profile of, of female desire, you know, and you learn all of the minutiae yeah. that goes into that. And do you think that our culture has an issue with the way it views women's sexual longings? and how it treats the way women choose to express or act upon those desires. Women's sexuality is not something that we've talked about. We don't we haven't quote unquote cared about female sexuality for centuries. Men's sexuality is a fact of life. Mm-hmm. It is something that is is just even if it's wrong, even if they've done something terrible, or even if they just cheated on their wives, or even if a politician has just done something untoward, and we talk about it on television or in media, we still, I mean, of course, television is media, but in any media, we we talk about it like, you know, okay, it was wrong, but that's a man is a man, and that's what he does. And when there's a female... Um, woman, when there's a, a woman in charge of something, a teacher, there have been some examples lately. It's not seen as, uh, oh, well, she's obviously she wants sex too. Mm-hmm. It's seen as this curiosity, like like this insane thing that we just can't stop talking about. Yeah. We kind of pathologize it in a way. Yeah. One thing I felt throughout the book, particularly through reading Maggie's story, was a lot of anger and sadness. Um, and there's a sense that this is a woman who was failed by a lot of people. Could you talk a little bit about Maggie and what we can learn from her story? Maggie 
You know, I think that one of the things about Maggie beyond the sort of regular, not regular, but the 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 thing that we're familiar with, which is men, in a sense, grooming women and just being, just having that sort of, that just impressing themselves upon a young woman who is not, who is not in a position of power like they are. Um, for me, beyond the sex aspect of it, it was, I think, one of the most damaging things was the fact that she was lifted by this person to be feeling important and to be feeling intelligent and beautiful where perhaps it, she was feeling that way for the first time mm-hmm. in her life. And to to have that happen from an authority figure and a person who she looked up to, a teacher, a just a person in the world who she felt like was amazing to to lift someone up and then drop them one day forget the sex aspect is its own crime and i think that that is something that i i think that's a sort of nuanced way of looking at it and one of the ways that i thought it was really that i thought really was i mean the sex is the sex and it's it's that's why that's that's the legality of it but then there's the the aspects that are not illegal that are almost in a sense more more painful and it felt certainly this is just my take on it but like and i've seen this in myself as well you know in breakups and you know obviously that doesn't factor in the kind of abuse of power but you know i think that so often it you can feel your self-worth wrapped up in that other person and i felt when i was reading her story that it was like that was taken away from her in a way yeah i absolutely i think that uh i think that anytime someone just drops you mm. completely it's it's absolutely devastating and the most devastating thing with what happened with maggie is that she couldn't talk about it with anyone and when you have a breakup you can you can talk about it with mm. your mother with your father with your best friends you can cry about it, but with Maggie, she had to sort of pretend it was other things, that her depression for years came from some other well that, that was uh, indescribable. And, and that, I, I think that is one of the most damaging aspects of that breakup, that it wasn't a regular one, that it wasn't one that she could vocalize. Mm. Yeah, and I think that you can see that, like that, just how alone she is, mm-hmm. and even once she once she kind of tells people, it almost renders her even more alone yes, to absolutely. an extent. The other two stories, Lena and Sloane's, explore the dynamics of marriage and desire within that structure. What can we glean from their stories? I think that with Lena, there was also a sense of because she was came from a very Catholic traditional family, she could not talk about the mm. lack of passion in her marriage, the lack of of even just human touch, like brushing one's hand against a shoulder as you mm. walk a, a, near them for just a decade, nearly, and she couldn't talk about. It wasn't like she had the children and she had a nice enough house. Uh, it wasn't that that was enough. Like you shouldn't want more. And so that to the judgment around her when she told people was massive and cruel. And it didn't take into account any of the minutia 
of her actual situation. And when it came to Sloan, one of the things that I found so shocking was that not many people knew, but this just few of the people who did were most taken with the fact that she was not not having sex with people in front of her husband or having you know having just a, a more open marriage it wasn't even that that was shocking to them it was the notion that that she was being intimate with her husband every day that he wanted to have sex every day mm-hmm. and not only was she a- allowing of it but she also enjoyed it and that was something that you know i mean that's a natural thing that it's a natural joke the woman having the headache or the woman just not being as into it as the man. And sometimes it's the other way around with Lena. Mm-hmm. And with Sloan, it wasn't that she wanted something she didn't get. It was that she wanted the same thing as her husband. I mean, I remember growing up hearing things, you know, f- from my parents' generation. You know, they would make jokes about women like, oh, I've heard a rumor that, you know, she has sex with her husband every night. Mm-hmm. And it always has struck me as, what's so strange yeah. about oh, that? Oh, it's, it's crazy. But, well, I think the thing is that if if you're a woman or a person who doesn't, wa- who doesn't want to, who doesn't find your partner attractive anymore, or life is just plateaued, passion is plateaued, which happens. Mm. It's a normal thing. Uh, but for some people, it doesn't happen. And also Sloane and and her husband were bringing other people into their lives. And Mm -hmm. so, and that was helping to keep the, the candle lit and. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so I think other people fear that. Like, let's say the other women who who knew about it fear that their husbands will find out about it and then go, wait a second, there are women in the world who do, you know, have mm. sex and, and like it even after a decade of marriage. And I think in Lena's story, I was, I think it's her, I think it's like 
is it the marriage counselor that basically says when she when she talks about this you know all i want is to be kissed by my husband and he mm-hmm. hasn't done this for such a long time and the and the the counselor kind of just says well that's kind of normal yeah she said that the way you feel about wet wool is the way your husband feels about kissing you on the mouth and i think that that's so it's crazy i mean it's mm. it's a sort of and the thing is it, it is in a sense his it's okay that he doesn't want to mm. kiss her on the mouth in 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 the sort of you know in the way she doesn't want wet wool on her you know there's things that we don't want like so he should be able in a sense to feel that but for her it was because all she wanted was to kiss mm. because the princess bride words you know her telling me about that was one of the most amazing things was because she she had this, the kissing, it was like the mm. three most romantic kisses in the history of the world. And she watched that as, yeah, I, for me, that was something too. I think that's a lot of young women who grew up during that, the time that the film came out, mm. it, it's a big deal. It, it impresses something upon you, especially about kissing. And so if that's all she wants and he won't give it to her, not even like once every couple of months, that that's something that says a lot about the the kind of the way that someone doesn't care about someone else's feelings mm-hmm. and not saying in the counselor's office, which he didn't, was like, you know, I I I feel I know she wants it. I don't want to do it. I want to do it in some other way, you know, take care of her in some other way. He didn't do that. He just kind of was like, I don't want to do it. And that, you know, and then so, okay, so he doesn't want to do that, but she needs that. So Mm -hmm. she goes and has, you know, reconnects with her high school boyfriend who gives her that. And and people were like, that's not right. And it's like, well, which one is more not right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just can't, I can't even imagine just like loving someone and not wanting to do that. But I guess that's, yeah, you've put the nuance into that uh, dynamic. Uh, do you think that we need to talk more as a society, perhaps about the reasons women find it hard to express their deepest desires and why women do things in relationships that they that they don't want to do? I think that because first centuries there's been we we've lived under a patriarchal rule that there's a sense of women conforming to what men want women being the sort of uh, the people who receive the desire of men and men being the ones who who tell what they want i think that's changing a Mm -hmm. lot i think it's been changing for quite a while i think that younger generations now are changing that um on twitter recently there was a meme going around about the ways in which male authors write about women's bodies and how women have sex and uh, do you think that the response to your book says a lot about how female sexuality was not being adequately represented in literature yeah, I mean, I think that whenever I read a man's version, not all men, I think some mm. men are very good at it, but when I read a man's version of a sexual encounter, it's quite interesting to me, not so much the the ignorance of it, but if you're writing about it, I'd want to get it right. Mm. So when I've written about male desire, which I used to write about when I, you know, freelanced a lot for Esquire and other male-centric 
audience magazines and I I was very attentive to mm-hmm. male desire. And I asked a lot of questions about from two men. And I think that that's important. Male desire is it's important to describe it. It's important to describe any anything that someone feels. You just need to ask them the questions. So I think that if men are are or women are incorrectly describing the desire of another gender that they're doing a disservice to themselves and to their audiences as a writer. And how do you feel about the response to your book? Because it's, I mean, it must have been overwhelming, I would imagine. And do you feel that the conversation is changing? Well, the response to my book has been strange to me in a sense that I didn't think it was going to be I didn't think it was I thought I was writing a quiet book. I've said this so many times. I I did I never thought that it was going to be something that was read widely. Uh the other thing that I've been surprised about is the divisive nature of it because for me I I feel like I feel that people who, you know, I I guess it people who say oh it was boring i didn't understand all the all the hype i'm totally cool with that you know if when that's said i'm fine with it when people it's sort of when it kicks up a rage mm. i'm okay with it but i'm like what i think a lot of the rage has been it's has been like why why didn't you make a conclusion what is the conclusion mm. and the thing is there is no conclusion it was the desire of these three i wouldn't even call them women i would just say people because mm. that's I ended up with those people because they gave me the most of themselves. So, you know, why didn't you include powerful women? And, uh, you know, I think that all of these women were powerful. I mean, Maggie suffered from that, but she still had a desire that to deny that aspect of it, I think it's to not tell the full nuanced story and it's to deny her own, her own, what she wanted at the time. Uh, even if it was kind of groomed by somebody else, she wanted to be seen as intelligent and beautiful, which she is, but someone made her feel that way and she wanted that. And mm-hmm. Lena has, you know, fell on the sword of her desire, but she was the one, he wasn't, Aiden wasn't saying, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to leave my wife. She wasn't sort of waiting around. She was she was aggressive in getting what she wanted. She mm-hmm. wanted to feel sexually actualized. And Sloane was doing what, you know, sometimes she did it for her husband, but until a new man came into their lives that sort of completed the, the, tri- the what they both wanted. But before before that, when she was doing something that, when she was having sex with men, she didn't absolutely like Mm. or you know wasn't completely attracted to even when she did that quote-unquote for her husband at the same time it's like well why why is having sex with someone else that you're not like there's no gun held to your head you might not love it but you're doing it of your own free will why is that any more uh why is that any more of a of a of something you do for someone else than you know, dropping your own job and moving, moving with them across the country or, or just, you know, deciding to just completely, whenever I hear about somebody quitting a job to support, to like to emotionally support 
another human being in their job, which my husband does. Mm. Uh, whenever I hear about that, that makes me feel like this. it's the same thing in a sense. You're doing something that that it's not that you don't want to do it, but it's a big thing. And to other people, it might look like a bad thing, but it's not if the two people involved in it have agreed to it. So yeah. for me, the idea that that these women were victims, I think is completely clueless. It's a clueless mm -hmm. idea. And the other thing that I, it's just not taking into account, once again, the nuance. And I think the other thing that is is weird about some of the response has been that, you know, it's just like, for example, with Lena, who would like, she has not heard of Me Too still to this. I mean, she's really? heard of it at this point, but it's not something that's in her life. She's in the middle of the country. She's not in a place where they are listening to you know, they're not list they're they're watching different TV, they're reading different papers, they're not reading certain books. And and let's say she's doing something or letting things be done to her that are not cool in the sense of what we think in, in other places to to sort of leave those women behind and say that they're like ghosts from which we must run as to, to to ascend as a gender is again a clueless thing because why are we leaving people behind why are we not telling stories of people who have their own lives and who have their own choices that they're making and also i think lena is one of the most feminist women I've ever met, which I think sounds insane to some people. But for me, it was like she was doing what as she was going against her. She was she couldn't afford the mm -hmm. sex she was having to 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 like, you know, spend so much money to see this man and like not just put to get cash out to pay for a hotel room. She couldn't afford it. But she did. She wanted it. Yeah. And she did it. And she felt like she deserved it. And there's one thing that you know that stands out in my mind that i i was like i was just like yes when i read this and it's you know i think she she pays she's waiting around for for aiden to message her like and he's he's not responding to her facebook messages and um she ends up you know she hears from him i think and they basically she she hires a babysitter orders a pizza which mm -hmm. none of those things she can afford mm -hmm. and and she says and you you write something that's about all she wants is just a a day's notice so that she can shave her mm -hmm. legs yeah and there's that notion that i really relate to that's like that kind of like you're at the the whim of somebody else's desires mm -hmm. that you're waiting around to be called upon and you don't have the time to prepare for that that is something i have definitely experienced i think almost everyone has mm. and but but the thing is you do it because you want to yeah and you don't do it's not a, it might be at the whim of someone else's desire but it's also the of the whim of yours mm. you don't have to wait around if you feel like you're waiting around that it's unfair you don't have to do it but i felt those things too i'm like is this wow that person was not worth blowing out my hair for <laughs> You know, and like, and that's the thing, but I blew out my hair. He mm -hmm. didn't say blow out your hair. I mm -hmm. wanted to blow out my hair. I wanted to feel that. I wanted my hair to be straight for that encounter. Yeah. Like blow 35 pounds on a bikini wax. And, Yo, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and you've been credited with inventing a new literary genre that mixes forensic reporting with kind of lyrical prose and I, I wanted to know what made you choose to approach the book in this way I I don't think I've invented that <laughs> but um but I do think that I 
I have never, I'm not a nonfiction reader for the most part. Mm. I would only read, I'm, I, like, let's say I'm completely interested in Sex in the City, right? Yeah. Um, which I think all of us are. Mm-hmm. I don't know, or The Bachelor, you yeah. know, um, which my husband worked on, or oh. The Bachelorette, actually. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't marry him because he worked on that, but I love that he asked, you know, mm. <laughs> I love that he did it. But, um, but the notion of, uh, of re, I don't read nonfiction about a subject that I'm interested in, mm. uh, unless it's written by an author I'm interested in. So I would read anything Tracy Kidder wrote. I wouldn't read anything that Janet Malcolm wrote, um, anything that Joe Didion wrote, mm. uh, and and for me it's it's about um it's about the the way that they describe the thing that they're describing the interiority of it and so for me i didn't want to write nonfiction that i didn't want to read yeah i get that and i can see that in the way it's written i think that every sentence feels deliberate that there's a point being made and i think well my final question for you is where where do you think the conversation about female desire should go next? You know, I think we should just keep talking. I, I think we need to stop judging each other. Mm. I think that women judge women more than men judge women. And I think that, you know, men might have this sort of Madonna whore idea of, of a woman. But we feed into that by by worrying that we are too much this or too much that. Um and I think that that's, you know, we need to dispel that. And we need to be like, you know, you might want a Madonna or a whore. I am, but, but I'm in the middle of those, whether that's even an extremity that we should even be using. Obviously, I don't think that it is. But, um, yeah, I just think we need to stop judging each other. And, you know, we, we, f- we freak out, and as we should, <laughs> about the men who are judging and, and making uh, laws about our reproductive rights. But we make we make emotional laws about the men that we should be obsessing over yeah absolutely and uh, this just made me think of um a lot of because i i think like many women have had my fair share of you know terrible experiences and so often i I hear from other women saying you know where's your self-worth right now or like Mm -hmm. you know what you need to be with someone who treats you like a priority and not an option and that's helpful, yeah. but it also can feel like a kind of running commentary on like the kind of expense, the personal expense yes. of my own desire. Exactly. Yeah. I remember someone once said to me, um, a, a man who you know wanted to sleep with me told me that another man that I was interested in, um, he said, you know, and the other man was sort of like not um, not making the the ideal priority your priority moves this other man said you know you're not a back burner girl and i was like that's that's true (laughs) i'm not but at the same time i was like but i like this other guy so why should i be with this guy who wants to make me a front burner girl like that's not my priority my priority is to like you know, chase after this other guy because I'm attracted to him. Yeah. I want to see him. I don't want to see you. That is, yeah, I, I am fascinated by that. Thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> if you liked this episode of History Becomes Her, please subscribe, rate, and review. 
If you have suggestions of history-making women we should feature on our podcast, or you simply want to get in touch, find us on Twitter at HBHpod, and you can find me on Twitter at RVT9. History Becomes Her is a mashable podcast created by Rachel Thompson and Maria Demenzi. Our artwork is by Vicky Lita. Our music was produced by Christiane Straker. Special thanks to Shannon Canellan and Nikolai Nikolov. And why not check out our sister podcast, Fiction Predictions? Thank you so much for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.